Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Isn't he awesome? Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Amen. Give him glory. He's so worthy. Be seated. Good to see you this morning. All right, Vanos. I'm going to let you hand out the... They're going to hand out for us the, the... If you'd like a copy, just put your hand up or whatever, and they'll uh, they'll get to you, hopefully. And like I said, one per family, and, uh, you know, uh, ladies, take good notes for your husbands, so... <laughs> Because if it's like my relationship with my wife, we do something like this, I always say, here, fill this out. So let her have that responsibility, amen? Well, as uh, they're handing them out, let me just sort of uh, go over a couple of things with you. Just to remind you again that uh, please uh, come to the Fellowship Hall at 2.30 uh, for our missions uh, information meeting. But also, immediately following worship, I forgot to say, uh, immediately following worship today, uh, for those who are members of our church, uh, will be our uh, quarterly business meeting. Uh, that will be immediately following today's worship. So I want to encourage you, if members, to uh, stay. And uh, we'll have that uh, after a brief intermission uh, after we let go of the service today. Listen, uh, we've been talking about Focusing 2020. And I told you that the reason why we're sort of talking about Focus 2020 is that our goal this year as a church is to focus. And what I mean by that is to be intentional about what God has called us as a church to be and to do. So, you know, it's important for us that we understand that our mission statement to love God, to love people, to share Christ and make disciples is, is not just a statement. It's not just something that we say, but it's really something that we ought to, first of all, identify with and believe in, but it's also something by which we want to work out in the life of our lives, but in the life of our church. And so one of the things this year we're trying to do is be a lot more intentional about doing that. And so I hope that, you know, as we sort of launch into the new year, that you've been thinking more intentional about your walk with Jesus than you did before you got here. Because the goal is that by the end of the year that we've sort of moved into as a church, uh, a a plan, an idea that we're going to move into this being intentional and living out the gospel as uh, God has called us to do as the people of, of Christ. And Specifically, you know, by the way, we, we take our mission statement from two, two places. One is the great commandment. Jesus says, love God and love people. And then we take the second half of that statement really from the great commission, right? We, we are to go and make disciples. And that uh, starts with sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus with people. But then that, that means to help people to mature in Christ, to walk and mature in their fellowship with the Lord. And so as we think about moving that direction, we started the year off by looking specifically at a series of uh, messages that I've just been talking about, our great God. You know, when Jesus talks about loving God, you know, who is this God? You know, we have so many misunderstandings about who God is, and that has sort of warped the church. That is sort of, not saying it's our church specifically, but but think about the church universal. We've sort of gotten this misconception of who God is. And the reality is we've, in our minds and in our hearts, thought we were worshiping the one true God of the Bible. And sometimes what we do is we worship a God of our own imagination. You know, we say things like that, my God wouldn't do this, or my God wouldn't do that. And you're right, your God wouldn't, but the God of the Bible may. <laughs> Amen? 
And so when we think about, you know, having a high view of God, and why do we start there? Because if, if we don't have a high view of God, if it all doesn't start out of his heart, if it all doesn't flow from him, then really all we're trying to do is fabricate something in the flesh. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to just fabricate what we can do. Because here's the reality. I read a statement this week. It said this, when man prays, man works. But the other side of that says when, when man, uh, excuse me, when, when, uh, you know, when man works, excuse me, man works. And when man prays, God works. And so that's what we want, right? We want to be an intentional church by which God is working. God is doing the work. And, and he just happens to use us to do it. Amen? And we go on these mission trips. We don't want to go in our own power, our own strength, our own ability. We want God to empower us. We want God to work through us. Because listen, here's the reality. We're going into an unreached people group. We're going to a place where the gospel is thin. <laughs> We're going to a place where some have never heard the name Jesus. Or if they have, they don't understand the biblical Jesus. And so we really, in all honesty and sincerity, want to avail ourselves to God and get to know who he is. And so we began by looking at the idea that uh, God is a living God, that he's a God who reigns, that, that he is a God who is perfectly holy. And then we talked about God being glorious or majestic. And then last week we spent a lot of time talking about what does it really mean that God loves? Because we got this mis and warped understanding of what it means for God to be loving. And so we, uh, we've been looking at a lot of different things about the person of God. And as we sort of move into the sermon today, I'm moving into a subject that I've never preached. I, I may have taught it somewhere along the line, but I've never stood on a Sunday morning and preach this particular subject. And that is that of the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son being triune. That is the Trinity, or what we may call the Godhead. I've never preached a sermon about that particular subject. And I'm convinced that the Spirit's leading me to do that. I was really uh, praying through my series of messages that I was going to be preaching on the new year. And I had about 13 sermons just on the person of God. And uh, while I was on mission in December, I really felt that uh, the Lord was leading me to do otherwise. And so I took those sermons, began to pray over them, and God sort of pulled out of that some things that uh, I guess he felt was important for our church to hear. And so uh, I preached those particular sermons on the personhood of God. And then as I thought about today's sermon, I thought about preaching um, on the Godhead and the Trinity. I thought, you know, this is kind of a thing that needs to be taught on a Wednesday night. And I sort of was beginning to try to shy away from it. And I just could not, Steve, get away from it. I just kept coming back to this is what needs to be preached today. And so as I do so, I agree with A.W. Tozer. Listen to what he says about the subject of the Godhead. He said, to meditate on the three persons of the Godhead is to walk in thought through the garden eastward in Eden and to tread on holy ground. He said, our sincerest effort to grasp the incomprehensible mystery of the Trinity must remain forever futile. And only by deepest reverence can it be saved from actual presumption. Listen, as we come this morning, I'm telling you, I'm trembling. I understand the responsibility to be clear, to be biblical, but also to sort of bring us to a place by which we understand to a place of application. It's never good just to have head knowledge. And so I wrote this down. The goal today is not to fill your head with knowledge, 
but to deepen your understanding of our great God that you may worship and glorify him. That's the goal today. The goal today is not for you to leave here going, well, man, I know all the stuff about the Holy Spirit, or I know all the stuff about the Father. I know all the stuff about the Son and how they are triune. No, the goal today is to say, isn't God great? And that's the God I want to worship. By the way, the, the reality is, you know, I always, when I think about looking at those Marvel movies, and I think about the one where the aliens invaded New York, I can't remember which one that is, but, you know, I think about that, and, you know, they, um, you know, they had that scene where Loki is there with the Hulk, and the Hulk sort of has him, and, you know, and he says, let go of me, I'm a, I'm a god, and, you know, he takes Loki and he grabs him by the feet and he slams him down and slams him down and slams him down again. You know, and he sort of walks away and here's what the Hulk says, puny God. You know, the reality is we don't have a puny God. We don't have a God that we necessarily can figure out. But that's okay because we walk by faith. And what we do know of God, we have to glean from the text of Scripture. And that's our goal today. And that's, you know, why I sort of tremble today is I want us to make sure that what we do is extremely biblical, okay? So that's sort of the foundation of where we're going. So let me just say a couple of informational things and then we're gonna sort of launch in to uh, the text. First of all, in your notes there, you're not gonna find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's nowhere there. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until about 160 AD that the word was first utilized, and it was utilized because the church began to be infiltrated with heresy. There were people who were Gnostics, and the Gnostics uh, began to spread lies and untruths about the Godhead and about who Jesus was, and began to question his deity, began to question the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Up until that point, it was accepted, and then in the 300 era, about 318, uh, the church once again had to revisit this idea of the triunity of God and begin to define what does it mean when we say that God is triune. And so when we begin to think about the text today, I want you to understand that the word is not there, but it is all over the Bible, Okay. So don't get alarmed. Don't say, well, if the word's not there, then it's not there. See, that's the problem with Christians. The Christians are asked, well, you tell me, explain the Trinity. And you're like, well, I don't have a verse for that. Well, first of all, you're going to leave with some verses for that today, okay? But you're going to hopefully leave with a better understanding of what we mean by God being triune, okay? So important subject. So let me give you some objections to the Trinity. There are three, and you, you may think, well, they're archaic. Nobody is worried about them today, but actually they are Still objections today. First of all is polytheism. Polytheism is that they believe that we worship more than one God, that there are multiple gods. As a matter of fact, you know who believes that we do that? The Mormons believe that we do that. The Mormons do not believe that Jesus and the Spirit are God. And so they think we worship three gods. And so there are a lot of people today who accuse Christians of doing that. And then there is this idea called modalism. And what this teaches is that God reveals himself in different forms. So here's what that means. What that means is here I am, Mike, and that what I may do is I may go ahead and put on a, on a mask and I may appear as somebody else. I take that mask off and I put a new mask on. I'm appearing as somebody else. And then I take that mask off and I put another mask on. And I appear as somebody else, but I'm still Mike. And that's what they say about God. They say, well, God, 
morphs into the person of Jesus on earth, or he morphs into the Holy Spirit, or he morphs into the Father. And so we have this variation by which we think that God is just showing up with different masks on at different times. That is sin. That is wrong. That is incorrect. That is not biblical. That is not what the Bible teaches. And then lastly, there is this Arianism by which they question the deity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They say, well, Jesus is created. And you know who does that today? Jehovah's Witnesses. They knock on your door and they begin to try to share the gospel. And it sounds like their Bible sounds like our Bible until you get to the deity of Jesus Christ. And they say that Jesus is not divine, that he was created. And as a matter of fact, you know, they have this warped idea that he was really perhaps maybe the archangel Michael who became flesh and was created into this body. And so they have all these weird, crazy ideas. So to understand why do we talk about the Trinity, why is it important that we as believers understand that is because, first of all, it's being challenged. Second of all, you need to understand if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you have to believe in this doctrine because this is the God you serve. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is triune. And so we have to understand that. And to say that there is no such thing as a trinity in the scripture says that I am not a believer, that I am not walking with Christ because it questions all that God has revealed himself to us. So having given you that real quick, let me just give you what do we believe? What is it at First Baptist Church level plans? What do we say about this triune God? Well, we get our doctrinal statement from the Southern Baptist Convention's Baptist Faith and Message. So let me just read what it says about God being triune. So just listen and bear with it for a minute. It says, there is, and it's in your notes, by the way, there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free will creatures. To him, we owe the highest love and reverence and obedience. The eternal triune God, here it is, reveals himself to us as Father, as Son, and Holy Spirit, and with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature, essence, or being. And all those words really mean the same thing, just expressed differently. And so let me say it more simply. Let me just say it like your notes have it. The Trinity is a belief that God is one in essence and three in persons. Apologist Neil, uh, Nabil Qureshi, who did a lot of work with Robbie Zacharias and who ministered to Muslims, um, was often debating the, tri- the triunity of God with Muslims. And here's how he would express it. Listen to his words. God is one in being and three in person. A being is that quality that makes you what you are. I'm going to explain in a minute. And a person is that which makes you who you are. So let me, let me use this illustration to help us to understand being and person. When you look at me, you can see that I am a human being. I'm part of the human race, amen? I hope so anyway. (laughs) I don't think I'm an alien in disguise. I don't think I'm artificial intelligence. I'm not that smart. 
We are human beings, right? I am a, a human being. That is what I am. But who I am, when you look at me, who I am is not the body, it's not the muscles, it's not the eyes, it's not the brain. Who I am is Mike Foreman. Make sense? Now here's the problem with the triunity of God. We as humans, we are one being, one person. But God is one being, three persons. Now think about that. Wrap your head around that for a minute. Just stop and think about that. One being, three persons. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm one being, but I'm not three persons. I'm one being, but I'm one person, Mike Foreman. God is one being, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Make sense? Are you with me? Say yes. Yes, yes. All right. So God is how we define the Trinity is one being, one in essence. You cannot separate God from being one being, but he's three persons. That's how he's revealed himself to us. Now, that's, that's a lot to wrap our head around this morning, but that's a pretty simple definition, I think. I don't think that's very complicated this morning as we think about that, but we sort of have to take that definition and go, okay, what do we mean by that? Like, how do we take that to the next level? Like, what's the next step in that? Okay, I get it, preacher. You're saying that God is one being and there's three people, but what, what do we mean by that? Well, let's just start with the first half of that definition, and that is God is one being. What do we mean by one being? Well, again, I'm one being. I'm not two beings, I'm one being, all right? So now when we begin to think about one being, where do we find this in the word? How do we know God is one being? Well, listen to Deuteronomy 6. Here's where we're gonna walk through some scripture. And by the way, all the scripture texts are there in your notes. You can look them up later. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, listen to what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The Old Testament says God is one. Isaiah declares in Isaiah 45, 21 and 22, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it before that time? Have I not the Lord? He said the Lord is, excuse me, and there is no other God besides me. Sound like one to me, doesn't it to you? And just a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Sound like one, right? Mark, here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said, first of all, the commandment is, he starts with a Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I don't think we have a problem with that. I think for most of us this morning, the definition of the Trinity, when we think about God being one being, we don't have an issue with that. I think that we understand that pretty clearly from the scriptures. I think most of us would never argue that. And most never do really argue the fact that God is one being. Where they have a problem is moving from one being into three persons. So as we think about God being one, one being, it's clear, right? It's clear God is one being. And as Christians, we serve one God. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God. But here's the problem. The problem is, is the way that we even as Christians serve this one God. So I want to sort of talk about 
this next step of the, of the, and here's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time because here's the, here's the catch part. Here's the part that people have a hard time with. And that is, you know, understanding this, this three, this, that God is three persons. Let's understand that this morning. How is God three persons? I want you to think about that. First of all, God is three persons. Write this down. He is three distinct persons. That is, that that even though we see one, these, these, this God, we have three distinct purpose, uh, persons in the Godhead. Here's how Wayne Grudem says it. Listen, Wayne Grudem's a theologian. Listen to what he says. The fact that God is three persons means, here's what it means, that the Father is not the Son, that they are distinct persons. It also means that the Father is not the Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons. It also means that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So let me throw up a little illustration for you. I think it's, oh yeah, there it is. So you see that there? God, one being in the center, is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three different distinct persons. The Father is never the Son. So it's not what we talked about modalism. And so it's not the fact that, that God morphs into being the Son at times and the Spirit at others. No, it's that they remain distinct. They remain separate, right? They remain the Father. They remain the Son. And they remain the Holy Spirit. You confused yet? We making it pretty clear? All right, so now think about that with me this morning because we want to see this truth in the Bible. How do we see it in the Bible? Well, listen to Matthew chapter 3. This is the baptism of Jesus. And it says, when he had been baptized, Jesus, first person, right, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, there's two persons, descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's the third person. All three present at the baptism of Jesus. If it's all God morphing himself into the Son, boy, that's a lot of morphing, isn't it? And then we find it in what we call the Great Commission. Listen to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Here it is, in the name. Now I want you to notice something here that's very, very, very important. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You notice that name, if you look it up in the Greek language, is singular. It's not plural. Why is it not plural? Because one being, one God, three persons. So I'm baptizing them, God, the being, but I'm baptizing them in the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no separation from the Godhead. They're all God, all right? They're all there. So they are distinct. And then second of all, write it down, I think it's in your notes, each person is fully God, are we going too fast? You hanging in there with me? I know I got a lot of notes. So I'm trying to hurry it a little bit, but you all with me this morning? Say amen. amen. So each person of the Godhead is fully God. Can you go back to the illustration for a second? The chalk illustration I put up there? I know it's asking you to go backwards, but, but I want you to see this because here's what the Christians do. Here's what we do. Some, this is in our minds. Here's what we do. We have the tendency to say, okay, they're distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so here's what we do. We try to divide God 
a third, a third, and a third. So what we say is, yeah, they're all God, but there's a third of God there, there's a third of God there, and there's a third of God there. And so what we've done is we sort of separated God out. Does that make sense? And, and so some even, some Christians will even use a, a three-leaf clover as an illustration. They'll say, well, see, here's the three-leaf clover is a clover, but we got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But the problem is you can separate that. And the reality is that, that God the Father cannot be separated from his Godhood. God the Son cannot be separated from his Godhood. And the Spirit cannot be separated from his Godhood. Why? Because it's one being. One being. So they're all, listen, they're all 100% the being called God. You with me? So we don't look at Jesus and go, well, there's Jesus. He's, he's, yeah, he says he's God, but he's God in the sense that, you know, he's part of God. No, he is God. The Holy Spirit, we say, you know, is the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God. We say, well, yeah, yeah, he descends from it. No, he is God. Does that make sense? You're with me? So when we understand the Godhead, when we think about the Godhead, we can't say, well, there's a, a third and a third and a third because that would be separating what you cannot separate. That would be dividing the being, God, from himself. And it's impossible. You cannot do that. Amen? So, when we think about that, where do we find in the Bible this truth? Well, we find, first of all, that the Father is God. We see him in creation. Genesis 1.1. I use that on purpose because listen what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see the Father. It's part of that. Some would argue, well, Elohim is the plural of God. So we can see the Godhead even in the beginning. But we see the Father creating, right? We see Jesus as God. And we see that because in John 1, 1, listen to John 1, 1. Now, isn't it interesting? The beginning, right? God created heaven and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word. And it says what? And the Word was with God. But the word was God. So there is this, this relationship of persons that we often think about. But there is also this relationship of substance, of essence, of being. That Jesus always was being. He always was God. But he was also with God in the sense of personhood. Does that make sense? Whew. I'm getting tired. The Holy Spirit, is he God? Well, listen to Acts chapter 5. Peter getting on to Ananias about lying. Listen to what he says. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Not to God, to the Holy Spirit. And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? In other words, why are you lying? He says, here it is, tagline. You have not lied to men, but to God. Whoa, 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 Peter, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You just said he lied to the Holy Spirit. Now you're saying he lied to God. Exactly. You get it? He, the Holy Spirit, is God. He's not a force. Right? Sometimes we think about the power of the Holy Spirit. We think that the, the Holy Spirit is not a person, it's a force. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a person. Every time he's used in the Bible, he has a masculine pronoun. He, 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 he. He is not a neutral character. He is not referred to as a force. He is a person. And he is one of the three of this being called God. 
You real with me now? You sure? Do I have any questions? Good. I know I'm doing all right then. He's a thinker, y'all. He keeps me on my toes in Sunday school. So let me give you this third area that I want you to write down, and that is this. So every, every, listen, every person of the Godhead, right? God is three persons. They are distinct. They're separated. Each person is 100% fully God. Same substance, same essence, same being. But then lastly, though, we see each person functions differently. Now, I don't know what word would work there, really, because some have used function. Some would use the, the word role. They have different roles in which they operate. But here's the problem with that. The problem when we think about each person having functions that are different, while the, while the Father does this and the Son is seen as doing this and the Spirit is doing this, that's what we mean by functions, I want you to understand that because they're one being, they're all participating. Does that make sense? It's like, it's kind of weird to really understand it that way, but it's like, because they're one being, what the Son does, the Father's doing. What the Father is doing, the Spirit's doing. Does that make sense? Even though we see it distinctly in the Bible as the Father doing this, the Son doing this, and the Spirit doing this, you cannot separate the Godhood. So what we're saying is we're not adding, listen, we're not adding to the being attributes that are different. So to say that Jesus is the Savior would also mean to say that God is the Savior, that the Father's the, that the Spirit's the Savior. Does that make sense? To, to worship the Father means we also worship the Son and the Spirit. And some say, well, you don't worship the Holy Spirit. Well, show me in the Bible where that's true. That's something we've created in our own thinking. That's something that man has made up. That is not true. You don't find that in the scripture. And so I want you to think about, when we think about this functionality, I don't want you to think it in the sense that now this personhood of God has been separated out, that you know the Father has to be doing this, the Son has to be doing this, and the Spirit is doing this. No, because they're all one being, they all are participatory in what's going on. We just see them functionally in the Bible. Why? Because listen, our finite minds cannot understand what we're talking about this morning. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you leave here, you may think you know what what I'm talking about. I may even think I know what I'm talking about. But let me tell you, I'm going to end with a quote that's going to really put it all in perspective. So where do we find in the Bible this idea of functionality? Where Where do we find where we see that that the Father is doing one thing, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, we find it, first of all, in creation. I want you to think about, about creation this morning. And here's what I want you to understand about creation. Number one, that the Father speaks. Think about creation. The Father speaks. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. What does it say to us? It says, then God said. So God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. Then God said. By the way, the beginning there, 1-1, one, one, is not a separate creation. It's an overview statement. It's just saying in the beginning, God created all this stuff. He's just an overview statement. And then he begins in verse two by telling us, how did God do that? What did God do to create this heavens and the earth? And so in verse two, it says that God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And then we read, keep doing down, right? God said, let this happen. 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 And God speaks and creation is being fashioned and formed. And then in our Bible verse that was read in our worship set this morning, the Son implements the creation. So the Father is speaking it. The Son is performing it. Notice in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him, that is by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth. He says, and he goes on, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created, what? Through Him and for Him. 
Does that blow your mind? Does that just blow your mind? And by the way, if you read the rest of those texts in there, you know, it talks about him holding all things together. You know, we don't understand why matter stays in place. We don't understand what's holding the universe in place. Let me tell you what's holding it in place. It's the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so here it is. The Father speaks in creation. The Son implements the creation. And then the Holy Spirit is doing what? He's present. He's hovering. He's there at the creation hovering, right? Listen to the text. Genesis 1-2 again. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so there we have it that the Holy Spirit is present there as well. You say, okay, great preacher. Where else do we see it? Well, let's talk about salvation this morning. Have you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? How did that take place? Well, first of all, here's the Father sending. So the Father sent the Son, right? We love this text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. The Father sent the Son. The second thing we need to understand this morning is that the Son obeyed. You're saying, well, where do we see the Son obeying? I love this text. Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, for be, who being in the form of God, by the way, the word morphe, the, 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 the word being used there is the exact representation. He was God. He was 100% being with God. And he says, he was God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal to God. There it is again. He is God, right? And then it says in verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. By the way, he came in the likeness. He was not in the exact representation of humans because, listen, even though he was a human, he was God. And so he did not have the sin nature that you and I have. He did not take on the sin nature. He is different in that aspect. And so it says that he came in the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, right? And being found, he says, in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, there it is, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, there's any way that this cup could pass, let it pass, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. See, what we do is when we see texts like that, we separate out the Godhead. We say, well, see, there's Jesus praying to the Father. Listen, there's Jesus who's 100% God, 100% being of God, captured in human flesh, veiling his deity in flesh, and operating, listen, operating out of choice, not to let his full identity be revealed. Because listen, Jesus, people say, well, Jesus limited himself. He really did limit himself. But you remember this, Jesus knew what people thought. Jesus often said, why are you talking about such and such? You know, he busted in their conversation. They didn't didn't know that he knew what they were talking about. The Bible says over and over again, Jesus knew the hearts of men. And and because of that, listen, he never trusted them. He never gave himself over to them. Jesus wants to pray about that. Listen, Jesus got so messed up with the Pharisees that they wanted to kill him and stone him. Why? Because on one occasion, you remember he told a young man who was lowered through a roof on a mat, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And they said, whoa, 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 only God can forgive sins. He goes, well, so that you know that I'm God, hey, boy, take up your mat and go home. They didn't like that one inkling. Why? Because Jesus equated himself with God. One time they said, we're children, we're the children of Abraham. He talked about the fact that, hey, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> boy, you're talking about getting them really riled up. They were really riled up that day. Who do you think you are? Only the I am is God who spoke with Moses. Well, you speaking to him. I am the I am. 
So I want you to think this morning, not in this function do we want to compartmentalize and send them off, but we want to understand that even in their function, they're still 100% God. And then the Holy Spirit, what does he do at salvation? Well, Ephesians 1.13 says that when you're saved, he seals you until the day of redemption. Listen to how it says it. And in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. About those who got saved, in whom also having believed, you were, here it is, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Why are you secure? Why are you going to heaven? Why is it that you cannot lose your salvation? You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And there is no one who can take the seal off. Amen? Yeah, you got two doctrines in one there. So what does all this mean? Like, you know, our great God is one in being and three in persons. I hope you got that. I hope that you understand the illustration, right? He's one in being, but he's three in person. I'm one in being, one in person. He's one in being, three in person. I hope we understand that this morning. And we see the, the, the functionality and how the Godhead works there. We, we see that they're all 100% God that you cannot separate. It's not a third, a third, and a third, but it's all God who has revealed himself in Father, Son, and Spirit. And they function the way they function within the Godhead in order that we can begin in our finite minds to begin to understand who this God is that's so great. What does it boil down to? You know, whether you caught anything I really said today and really understand it, I I just, you know, I would say that do we understand it perfectly? Certainly not. John Wesley, here's the quote that's going to blow your mind. Here's what John Wesley said. He said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man who can comprehend the triune God. Well, that's so powerful. Do I understand it all this morning? No, I don't understand it all this morning. So what do you do with it? How do you, how do you take this mystery, and what do you do with it? Well, let me just give you what you need to do. You believe it, Christian. You, you understand it by faith alone, through what has been revealed through the word alone. Amen. You believe it by faith alone, by what's been revealed in the word alone. Now, what does that mean? That means that faith is not just some blind stupidity, right? That faith is my trust that I have in this awesome God who is one being and three in persons. But I have that faith because I believe that he has revealed himself in his word called the Bible. And what he has revealed about himself, I believe. I hold this dear and true. Amen? So it's by faith alone, through the word, as he's revealed himself alone, okay? Now, what's this all about? I told you that we're in this season of focus. That we're in this season where we want to be intentional. We sort of want our lives to begin to count for the kingdom of God. And I believe that until we get a view of God that is bigger than ourselves... That God is not us. He is separate from us. But oh, he has made himself known to us and desires relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. As we think about all of this and putting it together about the Godhead this morning, I want to remind you what I said at the beginning. The goal today was not to fill us with head knowledge, but to deepen our understanding of our great God, that you would respond. How? By worship and glorifying him. That's what it's all about. So what is this response of glory and worship? What does it look like? So let me just give you 
the truth that the Trinity elicits as far as three responses. Three things I pray that you will do as a result of our sermon, our time together as you pray about this particular subject. Three things I pray will happen. Number one, worship. I pray that you would understand that we stand in awe of a God who is so great. Listen, y'all, we can't figure him out. The God that you may think wouldn't do this, do that, or the God that you think should do this, do that, Listen, we need to line it up with the scripture. Is that the God who's been revealed to us? Is this the great God of Israel? Is this the great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is this the great God who is one being in three persons? Is this really who God has revealed himself to be? Mike Cosper, in an article that he wrote called The Mystery of God, here's what he says. The more profoundly we press into the person of God and the wonder of the gospel, the more we will be confounded by their mystery. But God's word and God himself are wonders we behold, not subjects we master. Doing the latter will lead only to frustration. It's not a religious exercise, y'all. It's not about getting more information. It's about worship. You have a God that's bigger than you. And if you don't, who wants that God anyway? Number two, humility. We ought to develop a humility. We stand in humbleness of how finite we really are. But that really, when I read that quote by John Wesley, I really put it in perspective for me that I'm a worm and I'm trying to understand God. How crazy is that? And all I can do is understand what God has revealed himself to me in the Bible. Is there a mystery? There always will be. I will never figure it out. It's like A.W. Tozer said, I may walk in thought east in the Garden of Eden, but I'm not really gaining a whole lot of information for what God has given me about himself. So I pray that it'll bring you to a place of humility before God. So worship him, be humble before him because you're finite. And lastly, this, submission. What do I mean by submission? We stand ready Willing and eager to obey him. Are you submitted to God? Are you eager? Are you willing? Are you ready to say, God, I'm going to follow you. You have revealed yourself to me. And I want to follow you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. Sounds a whole lot like loving God, doesn't it? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.